Pacers, Cavs, tonight somehow. We're almost, we are over actually. A third of the way into the season and two division rivals haven't squared off yet. What's going on in Cleveland with the Donovan Mitchell experience? The Pacers are surging. This game could be super fun as the Karis LeVert, Ricky Rubio connections run deep for these franchises. We'll cover the two teams and that trade again today on both Locked On Pacers and Locked On Cavs. Let's go. You are Locked On Cavs, your daily Cleveland Cavaliers podcast. Welcome in, everybody, to a crossover edition here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Locked On Pacers and Locked On Cavs, two division rivals, you could say, that play tonight for the first time this season. I'm Tony East, the host of Locked On Pacers, and he is... I'm Chris Manning, host of Locked On Cavs, one of the hosts at the very least. Tony, it's good to see you. It's good to talk. It's good to... to, to... Again, we're going to, again, revisit the Carousel Virtrade, which I feel like we've talked about a lot, but, like, it just is the gift that keeps on giving for us. It's it's very interesting that the farther away that trade gets, the more interesting it gets, just because of the still outgoing dynamic of it from the Cavs' perspective. They still have a floating first out there. It almost got even bigger with none other than Ricky Rubio <laughs> somehow getting involved, going both directions and back to Cleveland. So lots of fun stuff to talk about there, but, of course, we have to talk about the game! The basketball game that will be played between the two teams that the Pacers are definitely surprising, but this is my loaded question to start. Mm-hmm. Cavs third in the East, Chris, they look great. Would you also say that they have been surprising this year, or is this kind of where you thought they would be? I, I think it's mostly where I thought they would be. I think there are things that I feel like I'm a little surprised about. I think, for one, like I think I'm a little, maybe just because I didn't watch the Jazz enough. Sorry, David Locke, but uh, I think. Donovan Mitchell's played at like an all NBA level and I like he hasn't made a lot all NBA team before and he's played at just like an insane level. I mean you go back to the his last game, the game against the Mavs, he was unreal in the first half, was pretty good down the stretch to kinda of help ice that game for Cleveland. And he's really competed on defense, which was like the big thing about how is this gonna work considering how bad defensively he was. So I, I'm not surprised. I think there are things about it that are are surprising. And I'm and there's like I think still some limitations with this team. Like I I think they are a step behind the Boston's and the Milwaukee's of the world. No shame in that. Those two teams are amazing. But I'm not really surprised. So, Tony, are you surprised? Is someone who like looked at this from afar and said, okay, the Cavs went all in on Donovan Mitchell? Are you surprised that they are 18 and 11? I believe a top 10 defense and offense at this current moment. I'll check that, but. All right, where where do you just stand on how where you what do you think of this Cavs team has been? Yeah, I'm. It's easy to say this now, obviously, but I'm not either. But the reason I'm not is because I always thought the projections for that team were really odd. Because even if you look at the Cavs before the season, they get Donovan Mitchell, they make the big move. If you know, they might they might lose some defense there. Okay. Well, they won 44 games last year, and they obviously got better in the trade. And a lot of the predictions were like. They're going to be 6th or 7th in the East. I'm like, is the East going to have like 750 win teams? You know, like I thought they yeah. would be a, like he's worth five wins, right? Like uh, at least. So I, I thought they would be pretty good. That Maybe they're at like the smallest smidge above what I expected, but not so much. I mean, I thought it was pretty obvious to me that they'd be good, not only because they got Donovan Mitchell, but because their three best players last year were like 22, 21, and 25, right? Like yeah. <laughs> they're going to get better. They're young. So it made sense that the Cavs would be good to me, but – People still continued to be 
kind of been like, oh, the spunky, surprising Cavs. I'm like, I guess, but these guys, they did two All-Stars last year. I don't know. Maybe. No, I, I don't think you are. And it's like, I, I think there are still people, if you've watched them, I think if you see them in, I think the last couple weeks are maybe the best example of this, there is still stuff being figured out. They've had some injuries that have kind of taken key rotation pieces out of this team. I think one of the big weaknesses of this team, as we understand it, is is the depth. I don't think that depth is quite where it wanted to be. The offense in the last two weeks has is twenty uh, seventh in the league at corner of the clean of the glass. So like it's not optimal. Uh, that that's dicey considering you, who you have on your team and all of that. Um, I think Garland and Mitchell are still learning how to play together. I think you're still missing some kind of connectivity fully between this team, but like on the year, they're fourth in net rating. They're even over the last couple of weeks when they've had a kind of a bad offensive run, they're still seventh in the league in point differential. So like they're fine, mostly even with some bad offensive stuff. Um, what is interesting, Tony, I think is that like you will, I am curious that the Pacers are kind of an interesting team for them to play against just because they're stylistic. I think a little bit different, and I'm curious to see how they approach defending Tyrese Halliburton. You know, I think Halliburton has obviously been fantastic. I, I, I have, like, less concerns about how they're going to defend, like, a Miles Turner or some of the other pieces they might have. But, like, this is a big guard. The Cavs, I think a lot of you can tell me this is wrong. I, I feel like teams will throw, like, a wing or a bigger guard at Halliburton. And the Cavs, like, don't exactly have an option. You love doing that. Like, are you going to throw Lamar Stevens on him? Eh. Are you going to start Isaac Okoro and risk the spacing concerns to defend him? Maybe I could talk myself into that as someone who still lives on Okoro Island, but like, do you want Donovan Mitchell have to defend him the whole game? Maybe not. That's not really a thing you want Garland to do either. That is for me, like from a basketball perspective, the most interesting part of how this maybe gets approached. Interesting game. And part of the reason I've kind of tracked the Cavs maybe more closely than I should this year is, you know, the Pacers right now, their best four player, not their best four players, but their best four positions are one, two, four, and five, right? They have really good mm-hmm. guards and really good bigs. And no wings, and that's the the Cavs. Like part of the pessimism with them was that, right? They they are they are no a no wing team, not none, but you know what I'm saying. Like no. I, I mean, you're it's not not none. Like <laughs> yeah, well the Pacers are like Aaron Neesmith, Chris Duarte in that position, right? Like it's it's similar to the Cavs situation. And so I've been interested to see how the Cavs in a league where wings are the thing are really succeeding without them. And so the Pacers have the the same. Not I wouldn't call it a problem, right? Again, both these teams are doing well, but. You know, hurdle, I guess, is the best way to put it. And so when they do play teams with wings, yes, sometimes they do end up on Tyrese Halliburton, especially because, you know, Andrew Nembard's been very surprising and good for a second-round pick as a rookie, but, like, he's not this huge off-the-dribble there. You have to throw someone on, and he starts at the three. Aaron Neesmith's at the four. Same exact conundrum. Like, you can get away with putting your best defenders on Halliburton or even healed if he's handling the ball. Put your big on Turner. Great, you solved it all. Like, it's not that complicated or confusing to do something like that. And so I think the Cavs, even if in, excuse me, the absence of wings, the guys that they would in theory go with, Stevens, Okoro, I think the Levert experiment starting is probably done, but maybe him. Yes. You know, they would end up on Halliburton, whoever it happens to be. That that It doesn't happen, like, the trouble for the Pacers is they try to run, even on, like, makes or, like, out-of-bounds turnovers, they'll try to run into the stands and go fast. So teams can't set. So it ends up that you guard your position a lot, just naturally. But when you can really think about it and set teams trying to cross-match against the Pacers, and I think that'll be a big swing in this game, is can the Cavs find somebody who can actually slow Tyrese Halliburton down? The Heat are the only team that figured it out this year, but that was only four days ago. So there is a fresh blueprint on how to do it. The thing I would expect maybe Cleveland to do, and I'd be curious to see what you have to say about how teams have done this and maybe what the Heat did, is 
I, I think when they can, they will probably try to switch their bigs. Now, they have two bigs who are like absurdly good at switching onto guards, and obviously that's not going to work every time. Sometimes a guard, like someone like Halliburton, is going to get by the big, get to the rim, maybe draw a foul, maybe find uh, a look elsewhere after the switch. But those two guys, like if you're going to do that, you feel pretty good about that. Like you feel pretty good about that now. Like the question is, like the Cavs are a team that play very slow. Like they're they don't play at a really like. They're not interested in always running up the floor and playing at this really high-octane pace. If the Pacers maybe control the tempo of this game, does that kind of keep the Cavs from getting in their half-court defensive set, kind of dragging the pace down to their speed? And then, like, do the Pacers maybe just kind of eschew running a lot of ball screens and things to just kind of prevent the switching and and do some of that? I, and maybe this is a, a zone game for the Cavs. Like, we have not seen this year the Evan the, something that worked really well last year, which is the Evan Mobley at the top of the key zone and he just eats up space, and like maybe you see, maybe you see that, and you say, okay, try to drive past this guy and shoot threes. We can we can live with that outcome. It, it's a look I would kind of. I'm waiting to see when and if they dust it off. Maybe this is the night. Maybe it's probably not, considering it's like a road game and excuse me, it's in Cleveland, but they're coming off of a little road trip and all of that. Like it, it's interesting, but that is where my brain goes. To me, this game is really just like I'm I'm excited to watch Al Burton. And I'm excited to see how the Cavs kind of deal with these defensive things because, like, you're right, they don't have wings, but they have like they have a defense that has been so good and has risen to a lot of challenges this year, despite not kind of having like that lockdown perimeter guy you would kind of expect a really good defense to have. Yeah, the, the Heat Halliburton plan, you know, a per guys talking about it and watching was Bam being amazing right on the switch, like, and the Cavs can actually replicate that. They're one of the few teams that can. And so big, big, big guys setting a ball screen. I could not get big guy and ball screen out of my mouth. And that's a terrible one to almost have a Freudian slip for. But anywho, the switch just ate him up. He couldn't do anything. Mm-hmm. So they went to Andrew Nembard on the ball more in the second half of that game because Halliburton was shut down, right? One point, didn't make a single shot. And the other thing they did really well is when they would shoot, they would only send one guy to rebound. They'd send four guys back. And Halliburton's really good in transition, right? He sees the floor really well. He pushes. He's fast. There's no transition when there's four guys waiting for you on defense. So that worked really well for the Heat, and I think it's something other teams might try to do, although the Pacers are also terrible on the defensive glass. So it's what battle do you want to try to win and fight? But, you know, I told you before that we started recording, I was going to unearth my my Cavs take. Like I, and I, I don't know where you sit on this, but like I think Evan Mobley is the most underrated player in the league. Right, right. This wow, like okay. Like he is incredibly good. Uh, if we did a 2021 redraft, I'm picking him one still number one right now. And he like, he's going to swallow Halliburton up if they do switching with him, but he kind of guards four sometimes. I'm not sure how they're going to be able to use him, but I think if I'm the Cavs, I'm putting Mobley on the screener, which will be Turner most likely as mm-hmm. much as possible. Maybe the Pacers restart, reinsert Jalen Smith into the starting five to have two bigs out there to mix up the screens, but there's no good option because Jared Allen's a beast too. So the Cavs are set up kind of well to slow him down. Can they also slow down Buddy Heald and other guys who are out there? Yeah, I am curious to see uh, just kind of how they match up from the get-go and what that kind of looks like. Tony, I, I want to respond to that Mobley take, but I think we, we have to do a quick ad read first. I, I also think we have to do that. We should start by sharing a message from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, hanging out with some friends and putting back a few drinks. few becomes a few too many as the evening comes to an end and people start to head out. You think of calling for a ride? Nah, you live nearby. You can make it home okay. No big deal. What are the odds you get pulled over anyway? And even so, what's the worst that could happen? Your insurance goes up. You lose your license. You lose your job. 
you total your car, you kill someone, everyone knows about the risks of driving drunk. The results are tragic and often deadly. However, that still doesn't stop everyone from getting behind the wheel while under the influence. That's why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on our roads to save lives. So if you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again. Play it safe and plan ahead and get a ride. It only takes one mistake to change your life or even worse, maybe someone else's forever. Drive sober or get pulled over. Also, let me talk to you guys about the lovely people over at Prize Picks. Tonight, you could take, for example, Luka Doncic to score more or less than 30 and a half points, LeBron to have more or less than eight and a half rebounds, Kevin Durant more or less than six and a half assists. Steph Curry's also in this ad read. He's not going to play. But either way, that is the idea behind prize picks. You pick a player, you pick a stat over or under. Will the player exceed or go below that projection? You can pick two to six players. You can pick a ton of different stats. And if you win, you can win up to 10, excuse me, 25 times your money on your entry. And the best part about it to me, you're not going against other people who can do more research than you and beat you. It's just you versus their projections. So there's no unfair advantages out there. They have any sport you watch, including NBA, NFL, MLB, NHL, and college. You can make your entries in a minute or less. It's super easy. It's safe with fast withdrawals and operational in over 30 states plus Canada. Download the PrizePix app or go to prizepix.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code Locked On. If you deposit $100, they'll give you $100. You deposit $50, they'll give you $50. You get the idea. Don't forget, enter the promo code Locked On for an instant deposit match up to $100. PrizePix. Daily fantasy made easy. Thanks for making Locked On Pacers or Locked On Cavs your first listen today and every single day, wherever you happen to be started. For your second listen, hop on over to Locked On Sports today. Go beyond the scoreboard behind the scenes for the biggest stories in sports with our local hosts here at the Locked On Podcast Network, hosted by Peter Burkowski, available on Odyssey, YouTube, wherever you get podcasts. Chris, Evan Mobley take. Hit it, hit me. Am I stupid? Am I overdoing it? Because I just think he's incredible. No, I I think like I I don't I think like the like rankings discourse of like top 100 lists I always find those like very like not worth my time. But I did honestly have like a little like confusion. I was like the Nick Young confused meme when I saw that like Franz Wagner was like ahead of him in the Ringer's top 100 the other day and I think Franz Wagner is awesome. Like I I'm, I'm going to fact check myself to make sure I didn't like hallucinate this to be honest with you. But like I <laughs> I just do not understand. Like he, he's number one in that class. You're still seeing him grow in real time. He's in year two. Like you are figuring out kind of what he's going to be fully. Like he's growing into being a rim protector. We're seeing his offensive game grow. All of these things. He is on the way to being like I think the the best guy in that class and one of the very best players in the league. It wouldn't surprise me in a couple of years if like the Cavs are his team to some degree. Like he's that good. Um. Sorry, I was. I, I want to apologize. Evan Mobley's forty three, and Franz Wagner is much lower. So I, I want to apologize to the good folks of the Ringer that I just hallucinated that, and uh, my brain's destroyed. But he, like, he's forty three on that list. I think he's going to be a guy who could be like a top ten player in this league. I think he's the best guy in that class. I think he should win Rookie of the Year. I think you're still seeing him kind of grow into that role. Like Jared Allen is really, really important. I think honestly, in some ways, Jared Allen is the better. Defensive player of the year, all defensive candidate right now, because he's been really good and really important to a lot of the different things they need him to do as a shot blocker and, a, and kind of a rim deterrent. But I, I don't think you're wrong. And I, I think Moby's one of those guys that his box score stuff is not going to blow you away. Like, I don't know if he's ever going to be like a 25 7 and like six guy or something like that, right? 
But I think you're going to, if you watch and you see what he does in terms of rotations and altering shots and, and steals and all these things, um, I think he's going to be just like a repeat repeat all-star, repeat all-defense guy. He's he's a truly, truly special talent. He's the kind of guy that like you should lose a lot of games to get. If you if you can read the game the way he does on defense, like you're allowed to be good at offense eventually. And he's good at offense now, but like really good at offense eventually. That's what I think about that stuff. It's happened to a lot of guys in the past. I, I think he's going to be so good. I love watching him play. And I think he's a matchup disaster for the Pacers. Speaking of matchup disasters, though, a lot of reason that people were low on the Cavs is their backcourt defense. Darius Garland's kind of tiny, despite being very good. Donovan Mitchell for his position also. You know, not the tallest guy ever at that two-guard spot. Tyrese Halburn's been great this year. Buddy Heald has had, I, I don't know what to call it. He's had more ups than downs, so calling it an up-and-down year is not fair. And at his best, he's been very good, but he has a few, like, oh, okay, kind of games, but mostly good. Um, the, Benedict Matherin, obviously, you know, top two rookie of the year guy, wherever you feel on Boncaro right now. They've got the guards to punish bad defense in the backcourt. Has the Cavs have the Cavs been better defensively there? Is that where the Pacers can get their advantage? Where where can the Pacers get their advantage if those guys are better? Because if not, it's gonna be really hard for them to score. I, I think that is a place they can't get their advantage. Like if we are gonna find one, um, I think like you saw the Spurs the other night have some success, like moving a lot, playing with pace, really throwing weird stuff the Cavs' way. Like that was certainly a thing that threw Cleveland some wrinkles um and and i think to mitchell and garland's credit like they both battle they both play with effort i think mitchell has been like a much better defender than i would have suspected like he's he's truly trying and like using his his wingspan all these things in a way that i don't think he was at the tail end of that utah thing like everyone who watched the playoffs last year came away thinking this guy's like a disaster on defense and he's not been a disaster defense i'm not going to tell you he's been good right but like he's he's been better than what i thought I think getting them out in transition and, you know, how they use Miles Turner, um, a guy Pacers, people are very familiar with Sabonis, Damanis Sabonis had some really interesting looks with the Cavs just creating stuff out of being a big and using and kind of being the hub for certain things that created some problems for the Cavs at two times they played Sacramento um, already this year. So that's kind of a thing you could maybe see as well. But I mean, if Halliburton pushes and gets ahead and, you know, they don't switch or whatever it is or. You know, Kevin Love, if he has like a night where he's not making the rotations with effort that you need him to, like that presents some problems as well. But Tony, on the other end, I wanna I wanna ask you this. How will the Pacers how how will the Pacers and how have their guys held up against Biggs in terms of defensively? Like Miles Turner obviously a very, very good player, but how are the guys that are Miles Turner playing in the front court? And I'm thinking back to Evan Mobley and how he might be, they'll throw him some post-ups against guys that are smaller than him. And if, you know, if he's being guarded in the post by like, let's say Buddy Heald happens or, or Neesmith or, or Jalen or whoever it is, how is how does that look from a defensive perspective for Indiana? Yeah, that's where the Pacers get in trouble sometimes switching because they like size switch a lot. They even go beyond that at times. But like they just played the Wizards, you know, and you know, there were probably 10 possessions that ended with Chris Epps Porzingis shooting over Buddy Heald. Like, from 10 feet and in. You know, it just, like, you can't do that. And they won. They won handily, too. Not like it was, like, killing them, but that was pretty easy looks for the Wizards. Like, it's not that, you know, teams, teams don't post up that much anymore. You know that. But, like, you don't see a ton of post defense from this Pacers team. But on bigs like that, they don't really have a lot of good options. Like, that's definitely Miles Turner's weakest point defensively because they switch. They get a lot of shorter guys there. And now that they haven't for the last two games, maybe they'll go back to it for matchups in this game. But... You know, Aaron Neesham is third at the four the last two games. He's 6'5", mm-hmm. right? Like, that yeah. is drastically shorter than whoever the Cavs had started the four. I'm a so, 
I think that is a, a big area for the Cavs to have a hub-style successful offense. I think Jared Allen especially could could feast in that way if they switch ball screens up high. I don't know that they'll do that, but given the way that they've played, that, that could be an option. I'm, I'm curious how that's going to go because it's not something they've been good at, and it's mostly just, you know, O'Shea Brissett is a wing-sized forward, and all the rest of the guys they play are either clearly a big or clearly a guard. Maybe you could kind of call them Neesmith and Duarte wings, but Duarte's not going to be with the team. So it's, it's going to be hard for them to find matchups to slow that kind of stuff down. Tony, I want to ask you one more thing before we go into our, our second and final ad break. The Pacers, I believe, now are seventh in the East right now. So in the playing tournament, but you know, with how compact the standings are, they're in the playoff hunt. And, and, you know, as you said, we're like pretty deep into the season at this point. Do you think that's real? You have to kind of think it's real at mm-hmm. this far in just because it's been so many games and like they, I don't know where people fall in Miami. They're under 500, but they beat Miami. They beat new Orleans, right? They've beaten some good teams like along the way. Again, where I don't know where people fall in Toronto at this stage. They beat Toronto. They beat Brooklyn twice. Um, yeah, Lakers, Warriors. I mean, they've beaten good teams, right? It's not like like they definitely have had an easier schedule, like especially in the middle of November. But they've beaten good enough teams for me to go. Yeah, I mean they're obviously better than people thought, and I think this is probably closer to like a 35-40 win team than the 25 win projection that they had. So I'd say it's real-ish. They've had a favorable schedule in terms of opponents, but. That's not their fault, and they've beaten, again, they've beaten good teams in both conferences along the way. So I think that we'll see how trade season goes, but I'm guessing, like, they haven't played any of the top three teams in the East yet, right? This Cavs game is the very first time they're doing that. They haven't played, you know, Denver or Phoenix or uh, a bunch of the top teams out West either. So I think that they will probably settle in, like where I said, like 35, low 30s wins. Maybe that gets them 10 in the East just because of how the East is this year, but... I don't think they're going to be in the hunting for a, a series versus play in position when the season ends. Yeah, I can, that makes sense. And it's interesting, again, like they maybe not on purpose fully, just based on what the roster is and everything. But like this is a team that's not going to go the full teardown route. Like they're not really in the in the Wemby sweepstakes as I kind of thought they might end up just based on what the roster ended up being. But that's just yeah, kind of an interesting Matherin's work. been so good that they I have love, good ball I, handling all the time. I, and, I love, I love him. Yeah. Yeah, he, I can't explain it. Like, just saying he's fearless or, like, he gets it, like, I feel like just sells, well, sells him short. You know, you know the, do you know that meme of, like, he, like, there'll be, like, an x-ray of someone's chest and there's, like, a dog and there's, like, that, <laughs> yeah. that is him. That is him, like, in yes, a human form. He has that yeah. in him. He's awesome. I love him. Yeah, people talk about, like, oh, he's fearless with contact. It's, like, I don't even think it's that. Like, he goes, he, he just wants to go through the guy. Yeah. Um, but beyond him being good, the other thing I think that's, in their play in favor, which is not anything they did, actually. It's just that Chicago, Toronto, and Miami all just kind of stink compared to what people thought. They're not bad, but, like, especially if, if Chicago blows it up, it's going to be hard to get out of the play in. Like, you know, the Wizards aren't any good, so they might just, like, play their season and be there when it's over. Yeah, that's, that's dead on. Okay, uh, let's go into one more break. But got to tell you that today's episode is brought to you by Bet online which i mean everyone here at locked on knows bet online tony throw that graphic up for me betonline.net is your number one source for sports betting info stats news and analysis get the latest odds and trends for every professional amateur league out there from pro football to college to, to the upcoming college bowls to basketball and the world cup final on sunday they've got it all at betonline.net tony do you have argentina or france 
I mean, it's hard to go against the reigning champs and Mbappe right now, so I got to go with France. All right, well, I don't like you anymore. Argentina for life. If you love sports <laughs> podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. We They've always got the fastest and easy ways to get your betting info. For instance, they already have a lineup for Cavs Pacers. The Cavs are seven and a half point favorites, which seems a little high, maybe. Uh, over under for that game in terms of combined point total is at 224. Remember, that's a that's a Friday night tip off in Cleveland. If that's the game you are tracking, head to their website today or use your mobile device to learn more. They again, they have everything over there. Remember, that's Bet Online. That's where the game starts. Thanks again for making Lockdown Pacers and Lockdown Cavs your first listen today and every single day. Check out Lockdown NBA Game to Game next. Best way to learn about the night that was in the league. I listen to it every morning, the day after the Pacers play. Because I can learn about the rest of the games I didn't have time to watch while the Pacers were playing. You get all the one-minute scoops about the action from, once again, the local hosts here at the Lockdown Podcast Network. I absolutely love the way that that show is structured. Chris, we're revisiting... A trade and a guy getting traded and then immediately going back to his old team and some picks are moving around. And here we are, eight months later. Harris Levert and Ricky Rubio are both Cavaliers. <laughs> the Pacers have the Cavs' lottery-protected pick this year. Assuming no catastrophic injuries, that looks like it's going to be 24, 25-ish. Uh, so the Pacers effectively, for Karis Levert, got 25 and Andrew Nembard. Let's talk about that trade, Chris. How are you feeling about the way Levert has fit into this Cavs team? And it's different now because they have Donovan Mitchell. They didn't when they made the trade. But where where are you standing on it now? I think if I think if the Cavs could go back and do it redo it today, and that's obviously just how this works. But if we're doing that extra, we're doing this exercise. I I wonder if they would decide it wasn't worth it. Karis Levert. I don't think is like a bad player, but there's a couple of things I made and they obviously didn't have Donovan Mitchell at the time. And and that, that changes, I think it's changed the calculus of what he is. His role is very different on a team that has Garland and Mitchell and not just Garland, but he can't, he has not proven to be able to play the three. So like you can't play all three of them together. It just hasn't worked. Like they, they just don't hold up with him at the three. And that's saying something when you have Allen and Mobley. He's not making mid-range shots this year, which is like half of his thing. It's like a big part of his identity as a scorer is just mid-range shots. He's not making them this year. He's not, you know, he's shooting pull, uh, catch and shoot threes this year to, at a better clip than you might expect. But like, is that going to hold? It's not really. It doesn't feel like he's really stretching the floor. And just from like an asset perspective, Tony, you know, you're probably trading last. Maybe you still have to trade Ochai Baji last year anyway. But if you just look at where the Cavs are headed. They have this. They have these four core guys very much kind of locked in, and I think the rest of the roster is in flux. And they need wings. They they need to find wings. I think like they had a game against San Antonio where it just made me think. Every UDFA, every second round pick that the every other year first round picks will have going forward that those have to be used on wings. Like there's not a there's not a need for another big or another point guard. Like go find those other places, but like throw all your development chips in and on wings. I think like it would benefit this team a lot to have a a chance to throw 
looks at that and then you could have like you could have found like you could have maybe thrown the ML like you use part of your MLA and Ricky Rubio. Maybe there's a minimum guy you could have found that could have just eaten up some of what he does. Maybe you just like have another wing that you found on the cheap that just fills in. Maybe you make another trade for like a budget wing. I, I just think like that first round pick and the cost of it and the getting the chance to develop it hasn't worked out. And I think the trade they made for Levert at the time, and we t- I, I know for a fact that you and I talked about this when we did a show and we, we texted about it. That was a win-now trade to maximize last season. I understand r- trying to ride last season and maximize it. I get it. But it was, I think ultimately like that trade, it looks kind of short-sighted now. And like, look, I think Levert, if he was making $9 million instead of 18, this might be a slightly different conversation. But he's like this glaring weird piece on this team. He doesn't quite fit perfectly. He's If you're looking at that, the Cavs making a trade this season, he's one of the logical guys. They might try to use his salary to flip him for something else. That's that's where it is at with him. And I wonder if they might just want to, if they could get a mulligan on that one. I, I kind of think they would probably say, yeah, I would take a mulligan on this. It's interesting in hindsight because of the Mitchell element to me. Like I think I know the answer to this, but just to get for Mike, mm-hmm. there's enough stuff the Cavs could have done outside of what they actually did to get Donovan Mitchell without Abaji, right? Probably, I think because like what—that's one part of it. Like they got to keep that pick in the end, which now that they have Mitchell is like kind of good, I guess. Yeah, look, I mean, if you get to keep, if you keep that pick, and like, look, also, like, I, I, I wonder if it's Abaji's not like playing for the Jazz. He just played in the G League the other night, so it's not like they drafted like the, he was marketed as this like, kind of win now piece. He's not like that's really hard for a rookie to do. Maybe like. And maybe the medicals for them were just too much, but like I, I wonder if it looks different if they get AJ Griffin, who look who's looked pretty good for the for Atlanta, like and yep. and that's the piece they get, and then they trade next year's first, or even if they have a first in this upcoming draft, and that gives you trade flexibility on draft night. They just have they would have like a little more flexibility without having done this. And look, I honestly like I have a hard time gauging trade prices for stuff right now, like without like how much Mitchell went for, how much Dejounte Murray went for. You could t- like I can't. I was surprised like Bojan Bogdanovic went for like a second went and when Levert went for first one. I think Bogdanovic is like a much more of like a contributing to winning basketball player, and he went for like much less, and that's that was weird to me. I I just the I wonder even if this was like two the two seconds, and it's just like a salaried up for Indiana to some degree, and like if it feels different, it's just. Like, I think the the Pacers like clearly are gonna feel better about that treat, even if all they get is Nemhard and like a developmental swing in the twenties next year. Like that's not a bad outcome for a guy that they pro- that wouldn't have fit with Halliburton, that wouldn't have fit with what's going on under Carlisle now. He didn't fit with Carlisle last year. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you said something funny about Levert, like he's not fitting at the three. Like the Pacers were like, oh, you're probably better as a one than a two. Like that, that's how far away from three they they had him when he was playing here. And yeah. Yeah, from the from the guys of what you said of would the Cavs undo it? Like, oh my God, the Pacers would do that trade a hundred hundred times. Like, in their position of heading through a rebuild, needing wings, like Lavert for Nembard alone, they might they, they might say yes to, given what we know now. Like, even just the co- even just the cost, even just the cost. Right. Nembard is on like a cheap rookie contract. Uh, yeah, it's a like, great deal, three years, like very cheap, and they also get this first. Like, oh yeah, I think they do that every single time eating eating rubio for half a year was totally worth that to them and i think that's an interesting part of it as well the pacers had to do that deal at the time i think the other factor for the Cavs, obviously it looks you know not as good for them now is i don't think they thought when they did it that 
they deal with the injuries they had last March. I think they thought mm-hmm. for sure they were going to make the playoffs with him. Yeah. Now it would have made it look much better to have, like he's, his skill set is better in the playoffs, even though it's not like awesome, but it's better in that kind of situation. The game is slowed down and you sometimes need mid-range shots and things like that. Like he was awesome for the Nets in the bubble playoffs. If you remember mm-hmm. that far back, that was his last postseason team. So yeah, I think like given where the Pacers were great trade, it made a ton of sense for them to do it. Also hilarious that it happened while they were literally in the building, like in the queue for yes. the deal to go down. But uh, yeah, the fact that they nailed pick 31 and have this outstanding pick that who knows what they'll do with it. They can't really fit. They have three firsts next year. They can't even fit that many guys on their team. So who knows where it ends up? But yeah, uh, it, it's yeah, they they have to be very happy with how it ended up in the direction of their team because, yeah, especially now that they I mean, they probably knew that the Halliburton offer existed. It's not like those trades happen in like two seconds, but right. the fact that they were able to pivot to the guards that they have now and do that worked out so well for them. Yeah. And I just, I just think the fire, I just think team, I just think that as we're going into whatever is coming in the NBA right now. And like, this is like sort of, this is to me like separate from whatever happens with the CBA and, and whatever happens with the money stuff. I think the teams that are like going to be really well positioned have, are going to have like, are going to be like the, the teams that have, not that you aren't going to be successful. Like, I think the Cavs are going to be good for several years. But I like I think there's something really nice if you're in Indiana and you have like just a couple extra assets to flip around and do with. It. Obviously, yeah. like there are teams with treasure troves of picks. Like Sam Presti is like Scrooge McDuck, like swirling around in his picks. David Griffin has a ton of picks in in New Orleans. But like these teams that just give themselves like flexibility. And the Cavs like to like large part like they kind of like you trade for Donovan Mitchell that's like your flexible that's like your that's your move like you can make other trades but like going forward like you're not going to be a cap space team you're going to have the MLE you're going to have minimums you're going to have like your developmental pieces and your rookie scale contracts and like you took one like even even if you didn't know you're getting Mitchell in February and you didn't you didn't like you couldn't have you, you there's no way they knew then even if you had your all at eye on that kind of big trade I I think I think they just like went a, I just it feels like now they went too fast on that trade. And I wonder if like they re, they they do it again. They got Rubio back and I know they love that and all that stuff, but like I, I it's like it all they they rushed it a little bit with that trade. Or like and again, like if if it was 2 seconds, I would feel much differently about it than I, like it's the first for me that is really just like okay, like you you swung a little too fast on that one in retrospect. It's just kind of early, right? And and whenever there's these earlier in the build trades like that, you know, the Cavs hadn't made the playoffs yet with this core. Like, I thought Minnesota did it uh, maybe right on time, maybe a little early for them, but I'm going to use them as a comparison. Every time there's a trade like this, this one's much smaller than the Gobert trade. It's like, not only is, is your bet on the player you traded for, in the case of Mitchell and Levert, it's also a bet on your remaining young guys that could be trade pieces or good to be better. And like Okoro, for example, is like... Can he step up? Garland, all these guys. And they have, but that's a, the second part of the bet is you already believe in your young guys. Minnesota's like gave up all this stuff because they're like, great, we have Anthony Edwards. Like he's our young beast. Cat's on our team. You know, like that, that I always think is the secondary part of these trades. And so the Cavs are making a bet on their young guys at the same time. And that could make it work out just fine that they, they went too early, but it might make it awkward in the interim kind of before that ascent is complete, if that makes any sense. Yeah, they're, they're still tinkering to do. And I think the tinkering is just like a little bit harder now. Right. And, he, and yes. like, even at the time, it's like, I, I don't know what would have happened with Colin Sexton in a non-Donovan Mitchell trade world. He obviously was just like sitting out there in, in RFA purgatory for a long time. 
Like, would have would would a team of Lavert, Sexton, and Garland made any more sense than Mitchell, Garland, and Lavert? Like, I I would argue probably no. Like, I think you still have these same kind of questions with Lavert. And like I like I don't know. Like, does does he make sense to resign? Is he hits like there's just like a lot. Of, I just still have like a lot of questions about like what he about the fit. And that's that's like he look he's he's fine enough to talk to you in, in the media session. Like he he's overall like for the year he's a net positive on the court. He's a negative when he plays the three, and they're kind of getting away from those lineups. I it's just like for nitpicking. I think the flexibility thing is just like where I come. Just a little good job on Indiana for getting for for getting that trade done though. Like good for them for pulling that one off. They've had a few the Pacers and the Kevin Pritchard are like occasionally stinky deals. Eric Evans, TJ Leaf. No one really overpaid necessarily. TJ Their drafting Leaf. hasn't been great till recently, but they are they are good at trades. I mean they got <laughs> this, they got ha- I mean they got Halberton in itself, yeah. and it's yeah. like that that is such a win for them. And even like the Sacramento side of it. If their thing was like, hey, we want to like make our team make sense and like get to the playoffs, that's the whole goal of the Sabonis trade. Like, even like that logic makes sense. Even if like in retrospect, like maybe they shouldn't have traded Halberton and like maybe should have been like, could we do this for Deer and Fox instead? And like maybe Nana says no at that point. Like, you can understand, like, look how good Sabonis has been. Like, you at least traded for like a really good dude who gives you an identity and has like a, a very winnable, scalable skill set. I don't know if Lavert with what he does is like a scalable player to like the highest, highest levels of where the Cavs want to go. And like, that's just, that's just the reality of it. And I, I'm curious to see, I'm curious to see what happens with him. And I, I, he's, I know he's been through a lot of people in Indiana know that like he's had like a lot of injuries that the health scare as well. I'm curious to see how this unfolds with him, but I do kind of wonder if the Cavs would take a mulligan on this one, if they could a little yeah, breakfast, I, little breakfast I, ball. I think they would like, uh, maybe I'm over hyping Andrew Nembard, but like right now, if I was running the Pacers, I would not trade Andrew Nambard for Karis Lover, like, period. <laughs> you know, like, that. that's how quickly this has turned for the Pacers to me. Well, the last time these two teams played, um, Karis Levert looked like an MVP candidate. So maybe it would look really game? stupid by the end of the night. Do you remember that in Indy? I, I do. I do. <laughs> he was unbelievable for the last five minutes of that game. He, he, he was unbelievable, like, this year. He was, like, insane against Boston, like, like he had forty one in the garden and it was like amazing. And then he like I don't he's only had like a couple like they've been recent, but like he's only had like a couple good game since and got hurt. And it's just like a it's like a very carrot sliver thing to happen. So may, maybe he'll have another uh stick it to him kind of game against the Pacers. I think this is a, a tough matchup for the Pacers in general. I think the Cavs will win, but I'm very excited to watch this one because this is a fun the no wings bowl, as I will call it. The we have to we have to give it a sponsor, like all these stupid college bowls. Um, it's the the Pop Tarts No Wings Bowl tonight between the uh, the Pacers and the Cavs. Uh, I have Pop Tarts today. So. Wow, like real adult move there, Tony. Having Pop Tarts, <laughs> I'm gonna shame you. I for actually, that one. Uh, you know, what? I got to brag since we're 38 minutes into this. Yeah, that's fine. I got it from a vending machine in my apartment building, and it gave me two. It was a, it was a good day. What a win for you! That is that I, I do respect. That. I'm try- what's like a restaurant that serves like chicken but doesn't serve wings? The KFC No Wings Bowl. <laughs> oh yeah, that's much better. Pop Tarts is not not that good. I mean, look, if they spend the money, you know, it's fine. <laughs> if the check clears, They're... like we we make it work, you know. 
If I was going to Cleveland for this game, we'd get KFC after the game. Now it would be a requirement. I, I know we would not. Tony, number one, you will be. You need to come for a game, or I need to come to NNT. We will not be in KFC. If you come to Cleveland, <laughs> we will go to better places than, than, than Kentucky Fried Chicken. I, I, I hope everybody cry. that made it this far enjoyed forty-five seconds of pop tart and chicken wing. Uh, <laughs> Nick, Nick Gangstead, I'm so sorry that if you're, if you're, this is the uh, Monday on Lockdown Pacers. We'll be talking about whatever happened in this Cavs game, as well as Pacers next Sunday. Can the Pacers finally win two in a row for the first time in a while? Can they beat who the top six teams in the East this weekend? What happened in those games? That's coming on Lockdown Pacers. And Chris, what can people expect from you coming soon? We've got Cavs Mavs coming on Saturday after Cavs Pacers Friday, and in the in the, in the coming, I think next end of next week as we get closer to uh, December twenty fifth, Christmas, we're going to do a two parter Cavs Christmas gift. Just giving out some gifts. Uh, myself, my co-host Evan Dammer, our producer Jake Stevens, special guest. We're all going to wear Santa hats and, and give out some gifts to the Cavs who need them. Because Are we all going to give them wings? Probably. That's probably all we're going to give. It's just a bunch of wings. I always laugh at those because in my head I'm like, I made every player eight feet tall. That is my accomplished goal. I, I, I gave them Victor Wembenyama. <laughs> yeah. Congrats to the Pacers now have 15 Wembenyamas and no longer need to rush have, to the bottom. They have one Tyrese Halliburton and 14 Victor <laughs> Wembenyamas and then Scoot Hender, two Scoot Hendersons on two-way deals. That's the dream roster of NBA Twitter. They don't have, they sim the entire season and go 1 and 81 and then they get that roster the following. It's just year. actually like 15 Kenrich Williams just real- <laughs> It's a very niche ending to this show. Thanks for listening on both ends and making either Locked On Pacers or Locked On Cavs your first listen here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you all for listening. Have a good one. We'll see you soon.